0: From the International Panel of Parliamentarians for Freedom of Religion or Belief, or IPP-FORB, I am Liv Kvannvik, and this is FORB and Politics. In this podcast series, produced in partnership with the Freedom of Religion or Belief Leadership Network, or FORB-LN, we look at two countries in Western Africa, often referred to as some of the world's most religiously tolerant countries. The Gambia and Sierra Leone share the same coastline and colonial past. And are observed to have similar freedom of religion or belief challenges. In this series of three episodes, we will meet with the former UN Special Rapporteur on Freedom of Religion or Belief, Heine Bielefeld, two parliamentarians from the Gambia, Honourable Amadou Kamara and Honorable Abdulli Sasai, and the head of the Independent Commission for Peace and National Cohesion in Sierra Leone, Hawa Sali Samai. The guests will delve into the understanding that parliamentarians have of the freedom of religion or belief landscape, and the role of parliamentarians in building respect and awareness for this human right. In today's episode, we delve into the vital topic of freedom of religion or belief, commonly known as FORB, and its integral role within the human rights landscape. Before delving into the political aspects, we believe it is essential to establish freedom of religion or belief as an inseparable part of the broader human rights discourse. To guide us in this exploration, we are honored to have our first guest, Professor Dr. Heine Bielefeldt, a renowned expert in the field who served as the UN Special Rapporteur on Freedom of Religion or Belief from 2010 to 2016. Together, we will navigate the fundamental concepts of human rights, examine the framework and institutions surrounding it, and shed light on the challenges faced by freedom of religion or belief, along with the misconceptions that often arise in relation to the specific human rights. Get ready for an enlightening and thought-provoking conversation. We are thrilled to welcome our esteemed first guest, Professor Dr. Heine Bielefeld, to today's podcast. Currently holding the position of full professor of human rights and human rights politics at the University of Erlangen-Nuremberg, his profound expertise in the field is evident through his extensive background. While his journey towards becoming the special rapporteur may not have been a conventional one, his dedication and contributions to advancing human rights have been nothing short of remarkable. We are honored to have him share his invaluable insights and experiences with us today.
1: Okay, I've always considered myself a human rights practitioner, so I started human rights work With Amnesty International in the early 1980s, which is 40 years ago, not dreaming that I would ever become a rights professional.
0: After years of academic work, Professor Bielefeld became the director of the German Institute for Human Rights. His following steps directed him back to academia again.
1: Once I was back in the safe haven of academia, (laughs) the UN hijacked me, uh, turning me into uh, the special rapporteur on freedom of religion or a belief, and in that capacity, I really I had to start from scratch again and learn to, to do totally different things, fact-finding missions. Uh, it was an eye-opening um, experience and an anti-aging program, I can tell. The role of
0: a UN Special Rapporteur, as described by Heine Bielefeld, encompasses three distinct levels of engagement, case-related, country-specific and thematic work. Through their multifaceted responsibilities at these three levels, the UN special rapporteurs play a vital role in monitoring, investigating, and addressing human rights violations, working towards the realization of a more just and equitable world.
1: Uh, to start with case-related work, and that is not really known to even the uh, uh, to even those who are interested in human rights. So, actually, as a special rapporteur, you receive information of cases. And then the the challenge is to react, to uh, hold governments to account. Uh, It's a rather speedy procedure. It's not public, and that's why it does not really get much attention, but it can uh, help clarify facts. So case related fact clarification, not normative assessment. It's really about facts. That's one level. Case related. Uh, Another level is country specific So uh, as part of the mandate, you are uh, requested to to conduct visits, inspection visits, if you want to call it that way, in different countries. And that has been a very, very eye-opening experience for me. I mean, really to see the situation in different countries. So country-related work, that's the second one. And the third is thematic uh, work. So, I mean, Special Rapporteur on uh, Freedom of Religion or Belief is a thematic mandate. And it means that twice per year, um, you are supposed to submit um, a report on a maybe a systematic question, like uh, what's the relationship between parental rights and children's rights in the area of Freedom of Religion or Belief? Minorities and majorities, how does that play out? or the relationship between freedom of religion or belief and other human rights like freedom of expression or gender issues can be complicated, but it's certainly not hopeless. There is a lot one has to clarify, and that is the thematic level. The special rapporteurs
0: are expected to fulfill tasks that are outlined in specific UN resolutions, but their independent status is crucial for them to be able to fulfill their functions in all impartiality. Special rapporteurs are prominent human rights experts from various walks of life, and they have different mandates according to the rights they work with. Freedom of religion or belief is one of these rights. Simply put, freedom of religion or belief encompasses the essential freedom for individuals to hold and express their religious or belief-based convictions, as well as the right to choose, change, or manifest their beliefs individually or collectively. So one misunderstanding,
1: very typical misunderstanding, uh, being the assumption Here we have a right that protects religion, the integrity of religious traditions. No, and here the clarification has to start. No, it's a right to freedom, protecting human beings, individuals, but also communities, always human beings. Hmm. So uh, freedom of religion or belief follows the same logic that defines human rights in general, protecting human beings in their freedom, in their dignity, freedom, equality. And um, uh, one has to emphasize this against uh, the experience or the the impression that very often here we see misunderstandings, crazy misunderstandings, and sometimes even ideological attempts to capture for freedom of religion or belief, turn it around into a bastion of anti-liberalism. Yes, uh, and that is really dangerous. It's dangerous for the reputation of freedom of religion or belief but it's also dangerous uh, for a holistic understanding of human rights.
0: The wide scope of this human right becomes clear when we say the full title of the right, which is freedom of thought, conscience, and religion. It is a right that protects human beings in their deep convictions, their identity shaping, and the broad aspects of their practices
1: and beliefs. And always with uh, insisting on respect for human freedom in this broad area. So a very broad human right. I think uh, it's important to repeat it again and again uh, that uh, uh, the application of this particular human right is very broad. So it covers people uh, that uh, cherish traditional beliefs uh, like Christianity, Judaism, Islam, what have you. But it would also... uh, cover uh, philosophical convictions, existential convictions, on the basis of which people might decide. For- In the book Religious Freedom Under Scrutiny, co-authored by Heine Bielefeld
0: and his colleague Michael Wiener, the concept of human rights is explored as fundamental rights that inherently belong to all individuals by virtue of their humanity. It is emphasized that human rights extend beyond mere international legal frameworks, prompting us to ponder whether this reference to human rights automatically encompasses freedom of religion or belief. The debate surrounding the universality of human rights is extensive and intricate, requiring a mature understanding of the legal and philosophical perspectives that shape this discourse.
1: Okay, uh, what is universalism? Um, And um, I mean, we take it for granted that human rights are universal rights. But sometimes, I mean, when you start a discussion, you discover, actually people have very different thoughts about what universalism means. So one typical... Answer would be universal rights are those rights that have been agreed universally or um, if not universally, then at least by a majority of states. Um, That would not be my understanding. Uh, My focus would be universal rights are rights that human beings have just because they are human beings, which means all of them in equal measure. It is reflected in the language used.
0: The articles of the Universal Declaration on Human Rights start with, for example, everyone has the right to freedom of expression. Everyone has the right to life. The same ideas are reflected in no one should be tortured, no one should be held in slavery.
1: So universal rights are rights for everyone or rights of everyone. I would say universal rights are more than internationally agreed standards. Yeah, there are rights uh, in respect for the humanness of human beings, which also you can also turn that into respect for human dignity.
0: While universalism often suggests that human rights work operates mainly within a global or international sphere, it is important to recognize the significant role played by national human rights institutions. These institutions are vital in promoting and protecting human rights at the national level ensuring that the principles and standards of human rights are upheld within specific countries. By acknowledging the indispensable contribution of national human rights institutions, we gain a more comprehensive understanding of the multifaceted nature of human rights advocacy and enforcement. Some institutions are even enshrined in their national constitutions, so they have a strong position, a formal position. They should also be financially well equipped, but at the same time operating in an independent capacity
1: to promote human rights. National human rights institutions, they have their own uh, reference document, which is called the Paris Principles, something that was produced in a conference in the 1990s, later on adopted by the UN. And, uh, okay, on the one hand, of course, they work at the national level, national institutes. Uh, So we have uh, uh, the Uganda Human Rights Commission, uh, the Kenya Human Rights Commission. In some other countries, they are called ombuds institutions or institutes, like the Danish Institute for Human Rights, uh, or Defender of the people, defender del Pueblo, that's a term used in Latin America, so at the national level. Um, uh, They should be independent uh, from state interference, but at the same time have a public mandate.
0: The notion of a universalistic validity claim in human rights has been subject to ongoing scrutiny and critique from various perspectives. One argument that persistently resurfaces is the perception that the universal human rights discourse is rooted in Western constructs. It is important to recognize that human rights are inseparable from historical and social political contexts, and they do not exist in a vacuum. Criticisms regarding the universality of human rights continually re-emerge in diverse forms. The challenge lies in determining how to effectively address and engage with these critiques, fostering a more inclusive and nuanced understanding of human rights.
1: Uh, Okay, what is the answer? Uh, The answer is, let's take the critique seriously and try to do better, try to uh, to, to, to overcome biases. And that is, of course, not something that you will ever be able to fulfill once and for all, but actually we have also seen progress. So by including people with disability in the conversation, by including indigenous peoples with their different worldviews, in human rights debates, um, so you overcoming uh, eudocentrism, overcoming androcentrist views so the male biases by uh, listening to the voices of women. I mean, all this is also part of human rights practice, by which we we we, we can try to be to become better and better. In that sense, universalism. Uh, is work in progress or as i would also call it it's always universalism on probation not something we can simply take for granted
0: one of the key limitations in international human rights work is the issue of physical access individuals who do not speak english or reside in rural areas often face challenges in accessing information about the resolutions and discussions taking place in geneva it is evident that there are significant gaps in the human rights field, highlighting the need for improvement. However, it is important to note that there are positive developments as well, with efforts being made to include new voices, particularly in the context of freedom of religion or belief.
1: I think we still have to work on the urban-rural uh, debate, for example. Of course, human rights work tends to, to uh, give voice to people who are articulate in English. Who come from urban backgrounds, educated people. Um, but of course, there are also people from rural backgrounds who prefer to speak in local languages and dialects. And okay, there I think we have to broaden the system so that the various voices have an opportunity to really come to the to the fore. Um, uh, it's work in progress. Uh, so I think we can never be fully satisfied. Uh, but um, Okay, what should the alternative be? I mean, uh, my, my main, uh, uh, res- my my ultimate response to all these um, uh, various criticisms is: I mean, what else uh, can we do? And I have not come across any more plausible idea than working for respect for all human beings. But I mean, respect in- implies. The readiness to listen, and that implies to educate your ears, to learn languages. And that's, in that sense, it's, it's, uh, it's an ongoing journey.
0: In our upcoming podcast episodes, we will explore inspiring examples from the Gambia and Sierra Leone, where parliamentarians and civil society are actively creating spaces for participation and engagement. Local communities are at the forefront of this work, with parliamentarians playing a crucial role. Achieving synergy in human rights endeavours is not a straightforward process, but it is essential for progress. Heine Bielefeld illustrates this with the story of a Methodist female pastor that he met during his work with human rights. She goes from village to village speaking about the issue of female genital mutilation, or FGM, which is considered a taboo to talk about in her context.
1: She sits together with groups of people drinking tea, or whatever, um, and and then she, she, she talks about changes. And one example that she actually gave is the radio, uh, the radio. Now we have radios in all villages. The radio is the medium of the poor. I mean, they cannot afford newspapers, they cannot afford maybe TV, but they all have radios. And the radio has changed so much. The radio gives us information, the radio, the radio. So just as a symbol of change, Thereby, I mean, finding an entry point for uh, creating a discursive space you know, so that we can talk about changes and other changes. And uh, and then she tries uh, to, to convey the message that we have also to work for changes in this p- very specific and thorny area of FGM.
0: The issue of female genital mutilation raises a significant and thought-provoking question. Can freedom of religion or belief be used to justify harmful practices? It can really be crazy.
1: Uh, So, some uh, observers, I mean, would uh, attribute everything related to religion uh, to freedom of religion or belief, ignoring that freedom of religion or belief is a human right, a right to freedom. So, for example, uh, believe it or not, even corporal punishment carried out in the name of certain religions, Uh, okay, in parts of the world we see Sharia criminal law, being applied, sometimes is uh, seen as a potential manifestation of uh, freedom of religion or belief. And here one has to say, no, 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 maybe it's a manifestation of religion. But certainly it's not a manifestation, it's not a legitimate manifestation of a human right because it affects others in a pretty brutal way. People may feel uh, motivated by religion, but that in itself is not not then uh, necessary then uh, a manifestation of religion or belief. Um, And uh, even if it were, uh, even if it were uh, based on a serious religious conviction, Uh, It could not be justified by uh, reference to to this human right. And here sometimes also the limitation clauses play an important role. Uh, Let me repeat, limitation clauses must be uh, interpreted and applied very cautiously, uh, very precisely, but uh, they are also part of it. uh, Not everything happening in the name of religion uh, is uh, uh, a legitimate use of freedom of religion. Or belief. Far from it. Yeah, And here, again, um, a clarification is of the essence.
0: Another criticism, this one more connected to freedom of religion or belief, gained more traction in recent years. Numerous books and articles have been published, raising an important question. Is there a religious freedom crusade being pursued under the guise of religious
1: neutrality? Yeah, this is horrible. Uh, this is... Um, really, I mean, it affects me personally. I like, I mean, kicking in my stomach. It really, I mean, uh, if if you consider all these many people, serious minded people who desperately work to improve the situation of religious minorities under threat, um, uh, trying really also to listen to what people really need rather than uh, uh, implanting ideological doctrines, and it's not the cap. I mean, the, the essence of what is the opposite of a crusade. Uh, really, sp- broadening the space for diversity, and of course, diversity. We 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 always have to to recognize uh, it. Maybe also against our own ignorance uh, that there is also diversity within diverse groups uh, that we sometimes uh, tend to ignore certain people. Uh, because they are not so fluent in English, um, uh, uh, that's why. I mean, it's an ongoing attempt to 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 uh, to be more sensitive, uh, uh, but much is underway in this regard. And now to 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 push that aside and talk talking about a to talk about a, a, a crusade. I mean, it's really it's unfair to many people. Yeah. So,
0: yeah, a- academic arrogance. This critique challenges the notion that efforts to protect religious freedom may sometimes be driven by ulterior motives or biases disguised as impartiality. It invites us to critically examine the underlying intentions and potential consequences of initiatives framed as promoting religious neutrality. Yes,
1: I mean, so, uh, I mean the, confuse, the confusion comes from different angles. Uh, so it's, it, it's true that some people try to hijack Fork. But then some academics, coming maybe from from, from a left spectrum politically speaking, uh, somehow seem to ratify that hijacking uh, when uh, when highlighting the misuse of freedom of religion and fail and and but failing to distinguish between the misuse and a legitimate use and the legitimate purpose of and the, the necessary purpose of freedom of religion. Uh, so that really it, it makes me sometimes pretty de- uh, depressed to see that. So it comes from different angles. It's true uh, that uh, uh, freedom of religion or belief is part of some crazy cultural wars waged in the U.S., also in parts of Europe, parts of Eastern Europe. But then it's it's not freedom of religion or belief, strictly speaking. It's the the, the religious freedom semantics. Yeah. So it's the wording. It's the wording. Uh, a freedom uh, of religious language used against maybe gender emancipation, against LGBT emancipation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But then really, one has to look into the issues, and very often you will see. I mean, this it, this is not really a folk issue. Or even if it's a folk issue, then it's not. It does not really capture the full substance of folk. Yeah. Bielefeld defends
0: the reflection that human rights are not only for human rights people. He mentions, for example, that freedom of assembly can be used for anti-liberal purposes. Human rights have a wide scope and include many things. However, we should not attribute harmful uses of these rights to the rights themselves. For instance, human rights
1: cannot be used to justify hate speech. Because uh, one has to live with side effects. um, uh, but uh, people would still defend freedom of uh, expression as a as a necessary ingredient uh, of any working democracy. So this is not uh, uh, the, it's not the right itself that makes the problem, but certain uses of the right. When it comes to freedom of religion or belief, then people, many people, many observers see their prejudices confirmed. They say, okay, here, um, a certain use, very conservative, maybe right wing, use of or invocation of freedom of religion but if it has much to do with the substance of this right uh, yeah so that freedom of religion is somehow turned into a counter enlightenment right an anti-enlightenment right a fortress of anti-liberalism etc etc and that is of course highly dangerous because i mean it undermines uh, the very legitimacy of uh one of those basic indispensable human rights
0: As we talk about other human rights, it is worth mentioning that the need for freedom of religion or belief as a human rights and its importance is sometimes questioned. Critics argue that rights such as freedom of opinion and expression, peaceful assembly and association as outlined in the Universal Declaration on Human Rights and the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights offer sufficient protection. However, the question arises, Are these existing rights comprehensive enough to encompass the complexities and unique aspects of freedom of religion or belief? By exploring this question, we can delve into the distinct challenges and dimensions of religious freedom that may necessitate a separate provision, recognizing the importance of ensuring robust protection for individuals' rights to practice, manifest and change their religion or belief.
1: It's a pretty typical experience that there are overlaps between various rights yeah so and very often people can claim uh, or can state a claim by referring to more than one right. That's pretty typical. Mm. Uh, but okay, that is of course not the answer to your question. Why also this specific right? And here my my main answer would be, um, it's not just about protecting people's expressions of uh, of a conviction, but also the uh, practical consequences of the religion it's important to repeat it again and again, uh, that uh, uh, the application of this particular human right is very broad. So it covers people uh, that uh, cherish traditional beliefs uh, like Christianity, Judaism, Islam, what have you. But it would also Uh, cover uh, philosophical convictions, existential convictions, on the basis of which people might decide, for instance, not to get involved with the military or uh, to refuse certain also medical activities. I mean, also being involved in abortion, euthanasia. I mean, these are also highly sensitive issues that uh, concern uh, people's innermost convictions. And that's why it's 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 important to underline from time to time that here uh, the full title is freedom of thought, conscience, religion or belief. And conscience also, again, implies the practical consequences of a conscientious position.
0: After many years of working in this field, Bielefeld mentions that he has been exposed to many forms of religious convictions that were very strange to him. However, this is also the side effect of respecting diversity. The term diversity is one of the ways to understand the importance of this human rights and its particular provisions
1: in relation to other human rights. Diversity is a nice term, uh, uh, but uh, okay, there are also some, sometimes fringes of diversity where it's not necessarily nice, but it's a bit crazy, it's a bit obscure. Um, uh, but still you have to somehow accept that as part of a, of a, of a complex reality. Unless uh, certain manifestations of religiosity really threaten uh, the rights of others. And then, of course, when, when, uh, one has to refer to limitation clauses, uh, be, uh, freedom of religion or belief in its external manifestation affecting others can also be limited uh, when, uh, okay. Uh, in combination with all sorts of safeguards, one has to apply uh, the criteria for limitations very cautiously. But I would still say, um, uh, you, when, when, when dealing with freedom of expression, when dealing with freedom of assembly, with freedom of association, and the diversity that comes with all these rights, okay, you will face similar problems, similar borderline phenomena, also unpleasant side effects. And then it's really important to draw the correct conclusions and not uh, 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 turn that against a particular right because there is religion written on the face of it and for many, for some people, that in itself seems to be uh, suspicious.
0: Navigating the various criticisms surrounding human rights, particularly in relation to issues like freedom of religion or belief, requires a thoughtful and comprehensive approach. Moving forward, it is crucial to foster open dialogue and engage in constructive discussions that address the concerns raised. This entails actively listening to diverse perspectives, acknowledging valid criticisms, and working towards finding common ground. Heine Bielefeld tells us that we are living in an era of increasing confusion which is constantly gaining a great number of new dimensions. It starts with the facts. We now deal with the extra element of fake reports, fake videos, fake news everywhere, accessible to everyone. There is, however, ways of filtering it out in order to deal with all the criticism.
1: A positive message I want to convey: there are actually possibilities to to filter out uh, reliable information and uh, distinguish that uh, from mere fake information or fake, fake, and 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 and. and uh, counterfactual propaganda, there are still possibilities. Um, uh, So, for instance, uh, by by using satellite uh, photos uh, on uh, the camps uh, in uh, uh, Xinjiang, the Uyghur region in China, Western China, Uh, So, by uh, using Google Maps, all sorts of now also technologically uh, supported fact-finding. I think in that sense, we have to invest on research. And that also includes, of course, for freedom of religion or belief. But then at the same time, um, the confusion also affects the main concepts. And uh, freedom of religion or belief is, I think, particularly affected by attempts to 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 uh, to somehow dissolve the contours of these uh, of, of 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 the human rights approach, uh, turning uh, freedom of religion or belief into a fortress of anti-liberalism of anti-genderism, uh, thereby leaving the the framework of human rights and the logic of human rights. That is a uh, it's it's a danger. It's not entirely new. Uh, but uh, we see that this undermines uh, the reputation of freedom of religion or belief, even in the eyes of some human rights organizations, who are, of course, working on human rights in general, but when it comes to freedom of religion or belief, oh, they are a little bit suspicious What is this. You know, what is this? And that's why, I mean, uh, clarity is really of the essence. Also, clarity at the conceptual level, uh, freedom of religion or belief, fully uh, follows the logic of human rights, yeah. and that, that is another challenge. Freedom of
0: religion or belief is an essential and irreplaceable component of human rights. Its significance lies in recognizing the complexity of human beings and their ability to live in accordance with their deeply held convictions. Neglecting this aspect undermines the holistic understanding of human existence and weakens the entire human rights framework.
1: Freedom of religion or belief is an indispensable part of human rights, broadly speaking. And I mean it when I say indispensable, because uh, freedom of religion or belief acknowledges a very important uh, dimension of human life. And that is human beings can have, hold, develop, cherish profound convictions. Existential convictions, identity-shaping convictions according to which they also want to shape their lives. So without acknowledging that dimension of human life, without respecting freedom of religion or belief, human rights would not do justice to the complexities of the human conditions. They would actually cease to be fully humane.
0: And that's it for today's episode of Forb and Politics. We hope you've enjoyed our deep dive into freedom of religion or belief frameworks, good practices and challenges. We would like to extend our heartfelt thanks to our wonderful guest, Professor Heine Bielefeld, who shared his unique insights and personal experiences, allowing us to explore human rights. In our upcoming episode, we have the privilege of hosting two distinguished parliamentarians from the Gambia, Honorable Amadou Kamara and Honorable Abdullis Sasai. Together, we will delve deep into freedom of religion or belief, the democratization process in their country, and the significant recommendations put forward by the Truth, Reconciliation and Reparations Commission, the TRRC. Remember to subscribe to our podcast and stay tuned.
1: FORB & Politics is a project from the International Panel of Parliamentarians for Freedom of Religion or Belief, IPP-FORB, in cooperation with the Freedom of Religion or Belief Network, FORB-LM. Host of this episode was Liv Hannes kvandli Coordination, outreach, research and writing by Sara Makado. Artwork, production and sound design by Wonkommunikasjon. Music by Lee Rosevier, Theme song by Alan Peretz. Special thanks to Palak Grau, Nils Albon and Thomas Kilista. We also thank the African Center for Parliamentary Affairs and the African Parliamentarians Association for Human Rights.